0: At approximately 5.15 p.m. on May 10th in 1967, three boys ages 11, 13, and 14 explore a cave near their house in Mark Twain's hometown of Hannibal, Missouri.
1: Brothers Billy Hogue, Joel Hogue, and friend Craig Dow are never seen again. It is now 52 years later. This is their story. you're just too good to be true can't take my eyes off of you you be like heaven to touch i want to hold you so
0: much
1: at long last the love has die. i thank god i'm alive you're just too good to be true
0: good. good song chris very good song welcome back to the Lost Boys of Hannibal podcast. I'm your host Frankie Campbelletta and with me
1: Chris Ketters as always as always
0: I mean I wouldn't have it any other way Chris
1: uh, it's it's the way it's the way of, of the world
0: You're an impeccable note taker. Oh thank you. I've got so many things going on with the films and the other podcasts that if I didn't have this in front of me, and even though we've read all the material it's just nice to see this complete outline
1: there's so much and we've i've said this multiple times there's just so much going on that if you, you kind of have to have a timeline and kind of figure things out as you go along
0: yeah totally i think that you know in the in worst case scenario
1: if you just read the book
0: it's not enough
1: no and not, <laughs> it's not enough and there's stuff in the book that's missing in the book that's we know from the report so the, you're you're actually taking two different sources and, and kind of working them together to figure out what's going on.
0: 100%. So we started a couple things on the Facebook page. You posted that really cool signature they found of Samuel Clemens.
1: Yeah, they found Samuel Clemens. It took them like 30 years or something like that. And they found it in Mark Twain Cave just recently, which is very cool. Um, uh, It's so interesting
0: to see his name there, you
1: know. Yeah, and they've been searching for a long time. So it's really neat to see that. And uh, you saw that on our Facebook page. Speaking of our Facebook page, uh, we have added a discussion group. Yes. It, which Would is you like
0: to highlight anybody's uh, discussion? Yeah. Well, I think you one know, of your questions got answered, by the
1: way. It, it kind of did. There was a good discussion going on. The last episode we talked about uh, the shoes. I was obsessed with the shoes. Obs-
0: uh, toward the end,
1: we yeah. were talking about Bramlett
0: Boys and, and I'm like, out comes Razor. And then all of a sudden you're like, by the way. <laughs>
1: <laughs> no. It was more like, what about the shoes?
0: The shoes. The it's shoes. like Life of Brian.
1: Yeah, <laughs> the shoes. <laughs> but yeah, we. So I did post a, a question and uh, make sure if you're you're. Haven't gotten on our Facebook page, like our Facebook page, of course. And also, uh, you can go into the discussion group, ask to be uh, submitted in so we approve it. And you can get in here and we can discuss some more about what's going on. But uh, Betty, when I talked about the shoes, uh, one of our uh, people in our Facebook group, Betty, had an amazing response. And I I actually just want to read what she said because it was really good. Go ahead. She says, has me wondering if they were even planning on going caving anymore that day. Already got caught up if they just gave up and just planned on going to church so that got me thinking when she says why would you go and change your shoes if you're gonna go into a cave again
0: so what's the timeline when he changes his shoes the first time
1: as in what time yeah like when when does he do that he had he already been in Murphy's cave is that, yes is that, okay. that was post Murphy's cave because then they do their long walk around right they split off Billy goes and checks uh, go change his shoes and then Craig and Joey go to it's, uh, level one that's first terrace at so the cutout so yeah but why would if if those guys were like you know let's let's go get let's go go to the cave we're gonna go into the cutout and we're gonna explore the cutout for a little bit why would Billy go and be like oh, my shoes, they're dirty. I got to be clean to go into this cave. So I'm going to go home and change my shoes. Unless
0: he already had his good shoes on. He forgot to change them. He went into Murphy's Cave seeing that they got scuffy. And they're like, I can probably, you know, guys, before we do any more caving, I'm going to go home and get my cave shoes.
1: You're pot committed by then, though, because you already got your shoes dirty, I would think. Right, and you're also, (laughs) we're thinking of a mentality of a logical, you know, 42-year-old. Right, yeah.
0: You're, what, uh, 11?
1: Yeah. Yeah. And that was another thing, too, that was brought up. Betty, again, I appreciate it. I love the conversation we had that she brought up. It was just like, you know, they were kids. They, you know, yes. how many times, and I did this, too, when I was growing up, family get together, and, and one of the little stories about something I did as a teenager I finally admitted to, and they're like, well, we didn't know that. And I'm like, yeah. So, I mean, it's, this is, that is happening now in the world to where not everything that is happening is being told to the parents.
0: Yeah, I think she does. I mean, she she's raised boys, you know? Mm-hmm. So I think that there is a really interesting tie-in from... And you need that perspective. I mean, one of the reasons why true crime, I think, is so in the face of the public is because of women. I think women are the the biggest followers of true crime. They're insightful as all hell. You know, call it a mother's intuition, call it something else. But in in some respects, there's a line of thinking there that I don't think is ever thought of, and it really comes from that female perspective, especially at this time. Let's, yeah. We're not going to get into third wave feminism and all these types of talks. What I'm saying is, is at this point, I think moms were definitely closer to their boys and their family, mm-hmm. right? They're they're at home more. I mean, in this particular case, they're not. They're both working parents. They're both working the taverns and stuff. But like my mom, she raised us. That was her job. And mm-hmm. that's a huge job. It's a huge responsibility. At the same time, my mom knows my idiosyncrasies more than my dad does. Oh no, Frankie would never do that. My dad's like, sure he would. My mom's like, no.
1: (laughs) (laughs) And that brings up a great point. Moms know... They yeah. know things that like us growing up as kids, we we're like, oh, we're getting away with this. Mom knew. But, and that's why I love the discussion group. Going back to the Facebook thing. I love it. So if you have thoughts, come into our discussion group. And, and it's just me and Frankie working on this right now. If you have some thoughts of a direction maybe we're missing or just something that seems wrong to you, get on that discussion group. Let's talk about it because we need interaction. We need the help. Uh, yeah, This is an ongoing story, ongoing investigation. Yeah. I mean, the more that's to find the results and find the boys, right. that's, that's what our ultimate goal is. Yeah, and just so you guys know, like we're, we're privately funded. This is a, a self-funded
0: podcast. We're not looking for money or to make money on the boys. That is not our, our, our objectives here. Our objectives here are we want to help the remaining family members solve this mystery. I think they still want to know where it's at. I think the mom and dad and some of the sisters and siblings have died never knowing. Right. If you believe in the afterlife, maybe they know now. But the ones that remain, it would be just great to have a community come together and try to find those answers. And that's why those discussions are good. So if you're not a detective or a homicide detective, it doesn't matter. Every, all ideas are good, all of them. And you never know. Sometimes it's just the simplest thing. So if you think it's like, oh, I think it's dumb if I say, don't ever think that. Because that, I always tell my students this when I was, you know, when I teach at college, I tell them all the time, like all ideas are good because it can basically bring birth to another idea. You know, it's that spiral effect. Absolutely. So check out the Facebook page. Give us some follows. Wanted to say thank you to Betty for her awesome discussion Chris. And then uh, to all our subscribers. Wow. 282, I think, people are following us right now. The podcast has hit our all-time highs. We're up 45% over this time last month. And so we're releasing three more episodes in the coming weeks, which is awesome. Before we go any further, we're going to jump right in here, unless you have anything else. Yeah, I
1: just do want to add, make sure that if you get a chance and you're on iTunes, Spotify, wherever you can leave a a, uh, rating, make sure to go ahead and do that for us. Just uh, leave us a rating, let us know how we're doing, but then it also gets the word out a little bit, so then we can get more people to to get in on the search.
0: And feedback's huge. We're not saying leave us five stars. If you want to leave three stars, that's great. Leave a comment. Five stars is nice. Yeah, five (laughs) stars is great. But also just leave us a comment yeah. on what you'd like to hear on the discussion group as well. Yes. Hey, like, hey, have you guys looked at this? We're, maybe we're missing something. Oh, yeah. You know, uh, as our as our episodes grow and our audience grows, we get a little bit longer in our podcast because we have to do all these shout outs and thank yous for everyone because, you know, there's 100,000, you know, podcasts out there, right? Mm-hmm. And I'm just glad that they're you know, paying attention to this one right now. I think it's important.
1: So Chris, let's get right into it. This is The Dig. Yeah, which was gonna be a single episode yes, to start out in our timeline, and and it's now three episodes.
0: (laughs) It's Because it is so important. Once again, guys, we can't really get into the speculations. I think a lot of podcasts on missing people get into the problem of trying to solve the case right away without having all the facts in front of them. So this is why we're doing this meticulous thing of going over everything so you know what we know based on all the reports and a book, but mostly our focus for me and Chris has been the Speleological Report, which I'm saying
1: for Chris. Thank you very much. <laughs> You're always there for me, Frank. Yeah, I appreciate it.
0: Oh, you know what, man? It's It's all about the love. <laughs> well, let's let's talk about the day. Let's talk yes. about first on the scene. I think we left our last episode. We're like six twenty six, six twenty
1: six, six twenty six p.m. That's when the phone call came. The Hannibal Police uh, arrived at Murphy's Cave within just a few minutes of that six twenty six time frame when the phone call came from uh, Billy and Joey's mom. It was from Helen Hoag. First of all, the police got there. They entered the cave. Did what what Tim did last episode? They start yelling in there and seeing if they can get any response. Of course, there's no answer. And I do want to point out real quick. It's really interesting this report is just amazing but Karras says in this report and I'm going to quote him the official search for the boys began also the most extensive search in the history of caving
0: bringing a lot to his personality yes this is something that we'll get into with the Karras episodes because of the person Karras was Uh, this becomes a a show for the news and the ratings Mm -hmm. so I think that sentence that you pulled out is very telling telling
1: of who William Karras is yes so yeah, we now know that the police department, they they just couldn't find anything. It wasn't going to do them any good to just yell in there, so they had to make a call to somebody. So that's when the Mark Twain Rescue Squad, or also known as the Mark Twain Emergency Squad, comes into play. Ironically enough, that day, Frankie, they are already doing something. They have a drill going on, and it's called the Marion County Civil Defense Preparedness Drill. It was police officers, firefighters, and uh, several of the Mark Twain Emergency Squad members were participating in the event. It was held at this really cool place. The building still stands today. It it was referred to as the Naval Reserve Building back then. Yeah, it's gorgeous. It's now a federal building. Uh, 600 Broadway. If you're in the Hannibal area, check it out. It's a very gothic building. we can try putting a picture of that on our Facebook page, I believe. Yeah,
0: we'll have it on our gallery and on the uh, website as well.
1: Yeah, so they were all there, and Bill Bridges, the vice commander of the squad, he received the call from the police department. Immediately, he ordered the squad members to mobilize. And on top of that, he also made a second phone call, and that was to Northeast Power. Northeast Power, that's the electric company for Northeast Missouri, is Northeast Power. He made a call to them and said, hey, I need some drilling gear. I need some jackhammers. Go to the Murphy's Cave site.
0: For me, it's a smart move because who else is going to have that kind of gear? I mean, Ameren and those companies, nuclear power plants, all those are used to digging. They're used to bringing up stuff. And so it does make sense. It also feels, I don't know, premature at the outset. Like you're going into caves, like why are why are we starting to
1: well, wow, why are you asking for so much equipment right away? Yeah. That's a good point.
0: It's like that's a lot of
1: I mean, it's good. Have
0: we tried going in the cave?
1: Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know yeah, that's a great point. I never even thought about that. That is, why are you asking for the 500 members of the National Guard to come yeah. in for you know? Exactly.
0: It's well, like, hey, Chris, we're going to the park. Okay, I'm going to bring the sandwiches and and gloves, and I'm going to get a, get a <laughs> sled for us and we'll get some swimming trunks. Like, whoa, dude, we're just going to the park. You know, yeah. it's like that's what it kind of felt like to me. Anyway, the uh, so the rescue squad. Yes. What, what is this? What is this rescue squad? Though this is not a specific caving squad. Though is mm-hmm. it? When is this thing? When does this happen?
1: They're not a caving squad at all. They've okay. never been in a cave. This is the first time. Typically, this particular rescue squad, emergency squad, whatever, they have done, they've done a ton of river rescues on the Mississippi. A lot of times it's not a rescue in the 1960s. It's more of a recovery in the 1960s. And today, actually, for the most part. But uh, they also do vehicle accidents. Also, if there's hunters that have been lost in the woods, they'll go out and search for them. It's almost like what the fire departments do today. But okay. it, instead, it was it was the emergency squad back then. So that is kind of the 2,000-foot view of the emergency squad. And Bill Bridges, going back to our story, he and uh, now squad commander Bob Harrison, they arrived at Murphy's Cave at 7.55 p.m. Two hours and 40 minutes. Uh, the boys were last seen in an hour and 29 minutes since that phone call was made by uh, Helen Hoag at 6.26 uh, p.m.
0: This just seems like a lot of time. I don't know. I'm going to just going to, I always listen to you as like the expert. You're the point person (laughs) of directing people. I'm like, Hey, I'm, I'm the guy that is, uh, love this story. Want to produce it. Been your partner in the podcast. I'm going to say from a true crime perspective, this seems like a lot of time has gone by. And what, what's the answer for that? We have, we now have three hours, right? I mean, aren't these hypothermia, these caves, these kids are crushed. I mean, three hours, Chris.
1: Yeah. You know, and it's coming from Karis. Karis actually brings up in his in his um, he, he brings up in his report that he's okay with that time frame. That he thinks because they're volunteers, that with them getting off work and trying to get to the location, that time frame is okay. I do want to point out a, a kind of a devil's advocate on this too, because one of the things that's interesting is is that they did have the drill going on that day some of the members of the rescue squad were already together so it's interesting it still took an hour and a half after the phone call because this rescue squad's doing work it took them an hour and a half to go three quarters of a mile (laughs) correct i mean like that's the other thing too when you look at it like you're doing a
0: preparedness drill so not drill like drill in the ground because we will talk about drills that drill in the ground this is like a drill it's like all right guys in the case of this happening well, you have something happening. Yeah. Cut the drill. Yeah. Like, we have a real situation here. But like you said, I mean, it's volunteers, people yeah. working. Would, it is irony. It's a lot of irony there, though.
1: You would really think, though, that if there was even five of them together at this drill, that those five were like, hey, we're here. Let, let's go. You yeah, know? We're going to head over there. You guys figure out Yeah, you need. it is weird. Karis, he's the expert in this this area, and Karis says, you know, I get it. And he actually says in the report, it, it's fine. That time frames. Which makes you also wonder if there was some ruffled feathers of people saying, why did it take so long? Because sure. Karis has to actually say something in his, his report about why they were so late. Yeah. So it's just I, I interesting. Think,
0: I mean, if you ask any parent that's ever been in a situation like that, and God forbid, nobody ever has to face that. When you look at the cases past and present, you're never doing enough to find their kids. And so there's a lot of that there too, probably. Also, you have an outsider coming in. Me moving to Missouri when I first came here as an outsider in 2011 you feel that. You feel mm-hmm. the burn of like, you know, well, why do we need this guy here? Why do we – there's that too. So I think they're the questioning, they're always going to hound whether or not William Karras did yeah. the best job he could.
1: Yeah, that's a good point. I mentioned two hours and 40 minutes. That was technically based on what we know today of that 515 mark, by the way. That's correct. That is not based off of what they knew on May 10th at 730 p.m. that – They thought that the boys have been missing since 435, because that's when the last time our good old Bramlet boys saw them, and that was the most recent report, the most accurate report they had at the time. So technically, as of that 435, they've actually been missing for three and a half hours now. It's
0: nuts. It's nuts to think about it, but I think the Bramlet boys play another part here, and this is not the episode to do it, but... I'm holding on to the Bramlet Boys. I, I think that there's something to those boys.
1: <laughs> I know where that's coming from. <laughs> we'll just leave it there. I'm just that, yeah. Okay. Uh, cliffhanger. There, yeah, or inside joke or cliffhanger, one or the other. <laughs> uh, so next, let's talk about kind of digging into the rescue squad once they get there, and, and this is according to Willard, also known as Woody Saint Clair. He's one of the volunteers for the rescue squad. He said that the members split up as soon as they got to Murphy's Cave. So some of them went to Murphy's Cave and some of them went to the Highway 79 road cut.
0: Murphy's Cave. I know the last episode we ended off with the 50% mark. Mm-hmm. You said 50% they're still in the caves. I haven't really came to any conclusion. Like I said, you're my point person. You're you're, you're the lead. When the questions come in, then <laughs> the radio station, the TV station start calling us. I'm like, sure, but Chris has to be there. That's where I'm at with <laughs> I'm this, good. what I'm saying.
1: <laughs> well, sure. You don't think
0: they're... They're, you're saying 50 percent in the cave, but you're saying not Murphy's cave,
1: right? Yeah, so that's a good point to bring up. I, I'm, I'm, and my numbers have, have fluctuated since episode four. We're gonna cover it then a little bit, okay. but yeah, to answer your question, no, Murphy's cave is out, and we'll get into that in more depth in the next couple episodes. I zero percent chance they are in Murphy's cave. Wow, I, yeah, I mean he said it. Yes, and, and and others did too. There's other official ports saying zero percent chance they're in okay. Murphy's Cave. So well,
0: you, you've got the you've got that backing. That's good.
1: Yes. So that's, tell me about Murphy's Cave, though. What's going on at this? The point? members of those rescue squad they quickly enter the cave. Uh, they use chalk on the walls to mark the areas so they can find their way back out. Which it, it's pretty general. Or they use the other item to find their way out, and that's string, which they quickly start using string as well. They use the string to to mark the areas that they've looked at so th- there's no doubling back. There's no there's no double efforts into the area. So that was what was going on in Murphy's Cave. The road cut, as we mentioned, they split up into two teams. One went to Murphy's Cave, one went to the road cut, and which is interesting, by the way, because they're going off the Bramlet information, but they know that those caves are existing, and I'm going to guess that... Since probably Mike and Helen Hogue knew that the boys went to the cutout, that's probably why the rescue squad split up and went to the cutout as well, because they had a past history of going to the cutout. So they were told not to go. Right, but at this point in time, as eyewitness testimony. We don't. The people at this point in time at 7:30 p.m. on May 10th don't know again about the janitor's report. They don't know about uh, Lois Kohler's report. They just know about the Bramlets at 4:35. So, but they, but again, they know that there's a possibility that they're a road cut. Okay. Wow. Yeah. So
0: there's a lot to digest. There. Yeah. <laughs> and the parents, like you said, I mean, they know more than than most, but. But, you know, they're still going to focus on Murphy's Cave because of the Bramble Boys.
1: Right, right. Okay. So, so again, they're split up, as we mentioned a few times now. Uh, the, but let's get into the road cut. The road cut, they quickly placed a rope to secure the perimeter uh, around the construction site. The squad members, they entered holes in the road bed. And this is really interesting. The road cut area was extremely unstable at that point in time. It, and they actually bring it up. Even moving the rescue trucks... On the road, they were worried that it might collapse, that these holes might collapse on them. So that tells you how unstable this this rock is right now. And another thing we brought up a little bit, I think, in episode one, but didn't really, haven't really expanded on much, was that it did rain. It, there has been rain going on to that day. And there was actually, I think, 0.67 inches of rain recorded officially on May 10th. So this is making it even more unstable. Right. And so they, as I mentioned, they rope it off. It also appeared that the contractors for the road work had dumped dirt into what used to be holes. So they've been filling holes in at on May tenth in the afternoon. And so
0: around the same time, potentially our boys could be near or in those holes. You're saying they're dumping, yes, they're filling them.
1: Yeah, they weren't, you know, this was before they, the call before even that they knew the boys were missing right they're filling in these holes they're just doing their job that's important i mean but here's the thing they recognize quickly hey those holes got filled in this afternoon And actually the uh construction company i believe it's actually the highway department that says it is that those holes were just filled in today and they quickly dig those out and find nothing so that's that's what the rescue squad was doing Hmm. yes so, that, so they searched throughout the nights, and during the that night also, it was also reported the Rescue Squad explored other places. So it wasn't only the road cut. It wasn't only Murphy's Cave. They also went down to the Lock and Dam, which in the report, it says it's like a mile down the road. It's a little bit more than that, uh, which I found interesting. It's, it's a few miles down the road uh, where the Lock and Dam's at, and they also explored some other areas as well, some other known areas that they, they might have wanted to look at. So... The the bottom line is is that the rescue squad did not just focus on Murphy's Cave on on that first night.
0: So, question: Murphy's Cave versus the road cut. How long has the road cut been going on at this point? I mean, is that a hard question to
1: answer? Or? One of the one of the calls that I have in is to which is very difficult, and I haven't got a response yet. Is the Missouri Highway Department to see if they have a timeline of when that contract started with that road crew? Uh, to get a better idea of what we're looking at, but it's been a while because they're pretty deep and if you even look at the hill for the road cut and how much area they had to take out, uh, right. how much earth they had to remove, they were pretty far along. They were probably a month or two, maybe even more into this process by this time.
0: It just begs the question that you can't leave out from a true crime or from a logical standpoint that if they're moving a lot of earth on these road cuts... And God forbid, as in any contract with any union, you underbid. Mm-hmm. You <laughs> got to start working faster to get the contract fulfilled yes. in time. I'm just saying, I mean, as we kind of come to this one big section on the Hondo Underground Rescue Team, the Hurt Team, which picks up again in epi- the, the part two of this, I'm just throwing it out there, Chris. Is There's something with the highway construction crew as well.
1: Mm-hmm. You want to talk about my percentages?
0: <laughs> <laughs> I want you to get through the last team that's yeah. out there. And then, yes, yeah. I definitely want to cover
1: that. Uh, but, yeah, so let's go. Let's let's continue on. So we know about the Rescue Scott. We know about their efforts. At this point in time, and kind of going back to that evening, so let's look at that 7 p.m. to 10 p.m. timeline. That was on May 10th. The Hannibal Police Department's they sent out a uh, request for help from other a- agencies. This included the Quincy, Illinois Police Department, and I believe as well, like St. Louis and a few other areas were contacted just to say, hey, if you have resources, let us know. The Quincy Police Department, we mentioned Quincy, it's about 20 miles north of Hannibal. The Quincy Police Department contacted a local caving club. Go figure, who's having a meeting tonight on May 10th <laughs> is the local caving club. So they, this is
0: too much coincidence at this point. It is. A lot of irony, a lot of coincidence. You got a preparedness drill, you got a cave meeting, and you got boys lost in the cave.
1: Yeah, so luckily for the rescue squads, the Quincy Caving Group they arrived in Hannibal just a little bit before 10 p.m. to help with the search. Another person helped out, according to we brought this up, John Wingate in his book, "The Lost Boys of Hannibal" book. Bill Boltinghouse, a senior at Hannibal High School and an Air Force recruit, first went to help out when he uh, then realized, hey, there's no communication uh, that is can be done. There's no way to communicate with the guys that are in the caves to what's going on outside so he runs home and he's an amateur ham operator so he grabs his ham equipment and a bunch of uh, walkie-talkies and he comes back and sets up his communication outside the first Christian church
0: that's interesting so
1: Bolting House does all that according to Wingate's book right Okay. We'll get into that a little bit more okay. in our next I, episode. Yep, yep, yep. it's coming, Chris. Just so you know, yes, I'm firing darts over here. Yeah, so we so those are some of your helpers. There's a lot of people, and there's a lot of people on the scene at this point in time too. The folks that live around the area wants to know what's going on, and they they hear the news about this, so they're out as well. So. The rescue squad and the police department was also trying to rope off area at this point in time, too, so to keep people away from the road cut area in Murphy's Cave. So, a lot of action going on uh, on this evening. But, next one we get to is the next morning. Uh, again, search crews have been searching all night long. And uh, the next morning, May 11th, St. Louis is about 100 miles south of Hannibal, and a fellow by the name of Conway Christensen, who is the chief of the Hondo Underground Rescue Team and vice president... Oh, man, you're going to make me say it. Speleological Society. Thank you. Uh, he was uh, He's the vice, vice president of the group, was uh, keeping tabs on the event. He already knew what was going on in Hannibal, and... Um, after talk, he, Christensen talked to William Karras, the president of SSA, and by noon, the Hannibal Police Department actually officially sent a request to Hurt, or the Hondo Underground Rescue Team, to come to Hannibal. So that was the official request was at noon on May 11th. Uh, the team, they were, as as I mentioned, already kind of already prepping, kind of knew this was going to happen. So they were going to be and were able to get into Hannibal by the afternoon so that was great for still them. under 24 hours yes for them to come make that turnaround at their arrival christensen was informed that not all murphy's cave passages had been searched due to collapses in the cave and many passages required you to actually crawl on your hands and knees which we've talked about there's a lot of tight areas in there but a good point important part about that is that there was known collapses in in murphy's cave that oh, hadn't boy. been searched so Christensen's team gets to work they work till 10 p.m. that night they search Murphy's Cave thoroughly so then we get to our last part here
0: so the hundo team is in there it's still under 24 hours since the boys have been missing we always look at the first 48 of a missing missing anything case as important and to all retrospect and looking back even in hindsight they're doing what it takes if it's still based on the fact that they're missing in a cave, mm-hmm. everything looks right. So, up until this point, the call for Karis, I think, as you have it highlighted, it changes a little bit at this point,
1: right? And Karis knows that something's going to happen. That you know, because Christensen's already been in talks with Karis. Uh, multiple organizations continued to. Um, get contact from Hannibal Police Department. And Telegraph was finally sent from the Hannibal Police Department to the Washington DC Metro PD requesting the National Capital Underground Rescue Team. So, who is the main person in charge of the National Capital Underground Rescue Team? Wow, who would that be, Chris? I, I don't know. What do you think we might know his name right now? <laughs> <laughs> yes, so Mr. William Karras is the uh, president of that National Capital Underground Rescue Team, also the president of the SSA, or otherwise known as? The, the Speleological Society. of Yes, of America. America. So he receives that. He responds to by telegraph back to Hannibal advising of their arrival at Quincy at approximately 10.22 p.m., on May 11th,
0: for the audience though, Chris, and since you grew up in the area, I just want them to know how far Quincy is from Hannibal. So,
1: what is that? A 22-minute drive? Yeah, about. It, it probably would have been about that back then. It's not very far at all. To give you an example, when fireworks, when it's Fourth of July, if you're in certain points in either Quincy or Hannibal, you can see the, each other's fireworks going okay. off. So yeah. that, that gives you an idea. Uh, it's okay. not not horribly far away. So that's it. Uh, so Karis has gotten the phone call. Uh, we got Christensen, who is the VP of SSA. He is already on the ground and you got the members of the emergency squad that are already working. and that's uh, kind of gets you caught up through about 10 p.m. on May 11th. This does feel very
0: even and maybe it is. maybe when you look at it from that broad perspective, right, the bird's eye view. Now that I look at everything, it it feels like they got a lot of things moving really fast. Like they were waiting for somebody to be lost in the caves. And it's just, it's 1967. Like today that makes sense. But it's amazing how fast everybody's here and they're in the caves. Like we got to find these boys. And it's still one of the only cases where the people were never recovered, right? It's
1: the only case. Yeah.
0: So... Let's go to your. Let's go to your. Let's go to the mm. board. Like <laughs> CNN, like Wolf, Wolf Blitzer over here. Yeah. Let's let's go to your cool statistics right now. Where where are we at statistically?
1: So, uh, and we'll talk a lot more about this in the next two episodes. But and we kind of brought it up already. Was the Murphy's Cave? Is that it, it, later on, uh, William Karras and and, and Christensen. They both agree there's a zero percent chance they're in Murphy's Cave. That's huge. That, that, uh, it is huge. There's other. Do I, do I get into this? Yeah. There's other give, people. Give them we'll, some because we're about to close. We'll talk about, uh, including a guy by the name of Tex. You gotta love a name, Tex, Tex Yokum, right? Tex Yokum. He actually goes as far as saying that. Yeah, well, we'll see. We'll, we'll see. I don't. I kind of think the same. Uh, and this isn't Murphy's Cave we're talking about. This is the cutout. Wow. So, so in the next couple
0: episodes, we're going to, you're going to see how both major cave systems, the Murphy one and the road cut is eliminated and that the boys might not be in there. And this comes back to the last episode. They're standing on lover's leap at five fifteen. Yes. So it took them this long to get where we already are. See how good we are in hindsight. Yeah. Yeah. But we've been there. We've been <laughs> scrambling too. So all the work that was done out there. And if any volunteers are listening to the show, thank you. Yes. I think if you are tuning in and, and maybe your name wasn't mentioned, there was over hundreds of people there are helping. We appreciate it. <laughs> we love hearing about all the people that poured out their su- support. It feels like in times like this, a lot of the community comes together. We start to see true huma- humanity and help. We might have our differences with a lot of different things from politics to religion, but when a boys are lost, you see the growth of people coming together and trying to discover this. So, Regardless of people's mindsets or what they thought or what their opinions were at this time, because you will start to see this movement of Karis in the next episode when Karis gets on the ground. So, from all of us here at the Lost Boys of Hannibal podcast, I'm your host Frankie Campoletta.
1: I'm Chris Ketters, and we'll be seeing you.